In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the last Sunday of the Coptic month, Abib. And as you know, during this month, we celebrate the Feast of the Apostles on the 5th of Abib. That's why the readings of the four Sundays are about the ministry, the service. In the first Sunday, we heard about the calling to the service, when God called the seventy and sent them. Second Sunday, we heard about the offenses in ministry, especially the offense of teaching. When the Lord Jesus Christ, if anyone offend one of these little children, it's better for him to have many stone hang around his neck and be drowned in the sea. Last Sunday, through the miracle of feeding the multitude, we heard about the management of service, management and leadership in ministry. And today, the last Sunday, through the miracle of raising up Lazarus from the dead, the Church wants to speak to us about the gifts of ministry. So the four Sundays, the calling, the offenses, the management, and the gifts of service. God actually when he sent the apostles, he gave them gifts. Gifts like preaching, like gift of apostleship, gift of priesthood, gift of healing, gift of speaking in tongues, several gifts. And you can read about the gifts in five chapters in the scripture. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, in Ephesians chapter 4, and also in 1 Peter chapter 4. These are the five chapters in the New Testament that speak about the gifts. There are some facts about gifts. Gifts are given by God as tools for the ministry. So, gifts should be used to build the Church of God, not for our own personal glory. And the distribution of gifts is based on the will of God, as He wills. So God may give someone more gifts than another. And there are some gifts are prominent, like gifts of healing, for example, or performing miracles. I'm saying prominent means like it is miracle, sign, something not for any person can do. And there are some gifts, like leadership is a gift from God. And there are some gifts less prominent, like helps, just to be a helper, to help others. And St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, all of us, we need one another. So if you received many gifts, or if you received one of the prominent gift, this doesn't make you better than others. Judas received many gifts, but at the end he perished. What make you better than another? When you use the gift faithfully and wisely. And the Lord said, who is the faithful and wise steward? So when we use our gifts faithfully and wisely for the glory of God, 
and for the edification of the body of Christ, this person actually will be better than those who are lazy and not using their gift wisely. Also, the gifts, we should use it to serve one another. As we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So if God give me any gift, I should not hide it from others, but I should actually use it to serve others. You know, the person who took the gift or the talent from his master, and he went and hid it, when the master came and he asked him about the gift and he told him that he had the gift, the Lord told him, you wicked and lazy servant, wicked and lazy steward, because he did not use the gift. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. And each person received at least one gift. Don't tell me that I did not receive any gift. There are common gifts to all of us. God, when he gave us time, it's gift. And we need to use it wisely and faithfully. When he gave us money, it's a gift. We need to use it wisely and faithfully. And when you are faithful in these common gifts, God will reveal to you the specific gifts. So each one should be faithful on what he has as gift from God. Your children are gift from God and you need actually to raise them in the fear of God. With gifts comes accountability. God in the last day, he will ask us to give an account of our stewardship. So God, he will tell you, I give, to, I give you all these gifts, then how did you use them? Did you use them faithfully or not? Did you use them wisely to make profit for the kingdom of God or not? That's why we need to use our gift under the authority and the leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the master builder and we are working under him. And as he directs us, we should follow. Some people focus on their gifts and they want to decide how to use it without asking God to lead them or to guide them. This is not being faithful in using the gift. But you need actually to follow Christ in everything you do. And you ask him whether he wants you to do, go in this direction or not. Also, the direction of Christ will be through also the leadership in the church, through Abuna under whom you are serving, through the bishop under whom you are serving. And God actually speaks to us through our fathers in the church. And you need to keep in mind that the ultimate goal is the edification of the body of Christ. So when you think about any activity or any service you want to do, you need to ask yourself how this is related to the edification of the church. For example, if you want to do sport activity, 
The goal here is not just to train our children in sports or to entertain ourselves and having fun through playing some games. That's not the goal. But the ultimate goal is the edification of the Church of God. So even if we used some services or some ministry like sport ministry, at the end, my goal is how to use this service for the edification of the body of Christ. As St. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So these are different gifts. Why he gave us this gift? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So gifts are tool, equipment. So we receive these gifts as equipment to prepare us for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That is the ultimate goal, to build the church of God. And if we understand this, we need also in using our gift to be in harmony with one another. And we should actually work in a spirit of unity. If we think about building a church like this, can you imagine if the builders are not working in harmony? Or the electrician is not working in harmony with the plumber, not working in harmony with the person who does the concrete, etc., etc. They will never have a church, they will never have this building. But when they work in harmony under the leadership of the contractor, they will finish quickly and you will end up having a beautiful building. The same exactly in building the church of God. We need to work in harmony under the leadership of our fathers in the church, which is the leadership of Christ. And in this way, we will have a beautiful spiritual church. Also, you should be fruitful in your ministry, in using the gift. If after some time you find yourself is not bearing fruit for the service, you need to examine yourself and why I don't have fruit. The person who received five talents, who was able to give back to the master other five talents. The person who received two talents, he was able to get two more talents. But the person who received one talent and hid it, he did not have any profit. We need to see if we are not profitable in our ministry. What is the reason? Because if you used your gift faithfully and wisely, definitely you will have at the end profits. Some of you will ask, I know about the common gifts, but what about, how do I know my personal gift? The gift that differentiate me or distinguish me from others. You need actually to ask God to reveal to you your personal gift, whether it's gift of teaching, whether it's gift of evangelism, whether it's gift of leadership, gift of helping others. Ask the Lord, and as I told you, when you are faithful in the common gifts, God actually will reveal to you your personal gift. For example, today we will ordain about 25 uh, readers. This is actually a gift. God entrusts you with the gift of reading and explaining. 
So, at the catechesis, in the end of the ordination, the bishops say to the readers, you need to study one by one the chapters of the Holy Scriptures, the breath of God, in order to be able to fill the ears of those who hear you with what you read. And you yourself will not be rejected. So now you are going to receive this gift. And there is an instruction to study the scripture chapter by chapter. And I'm not saying this only to those who will be ordained today, but all the readers who are with us today here. Are you studying the scripture chapter by chapter? Do you understand what you are reading? Do you live by what you are reading or not? Otherwise, you will not be faithful in your service. You need to, to, under, to read, to understand, and to live by it. Otherwise, as we, you are going to hear today, list yourself be rejected. You are going to fill the ears of the people with what you read from the Word of God. But if you don't live by the Word of God, you yourself will be rejected. It's a gift. How you are going to use it? So, ask God actually to reveal to you your personal gift and be faithful on what you know to be your gift. Number two, you need to listen to the feedback. For example, if some people tell you when you explain anything, you simplify it and make it very easy to understand, then maybe you have the gift of teaching. If some people tell you, you know, when I am going through a difficult time, or I have trouble and come and speak to you, there is something in you make me comforted. Maybe you have the gift of counseling. So God is using you to comfort and to counsel and to give advice to others. If you have fire inside your heart about the non-believers and you want to go and preach and talk to them, maybe that's the gift of evangelism and so on. Listen to the feedback from others and listen to what your heart is telling you. And thus you can know what is your gift. Another thing actually, you need to listen to the needs of the church. So if Abuna told you, you read very well and I want you to be serving as a reader in the church. Then this is a voice from God to you about how you're going to serve in the church. If you are called to serve in choir, if you are called to serve in Sunday school, if you are called to serve just to visit the sick and the, the, the needy and to ask about them, these are different gifts, but as I said, should all of them work together under the leadership of the church. So to know my gift, pray and ask God to reveal it to me. Be faithful in the common gifts that I know I have. The more I am faithful in this, the more God will reveal to me the personal gift. Listen to the needs of the church. Also, listen to the voice in your heart and the zeal and the fire in your heart. And listen to the feedback from others. By listening to all these voices, you will know actually what is your gift and how God is calling you to serve Him. The last point Although the gifts, the, the sign gifts, the supernatural gift, like working miracles, like healing, this actually can attract more people. 
And many people like to have this supernatural gift. But there is usually a risk when you have one of these supernatural gifts to fall into pride. And when the person is focusing on himself and how he received this supernatural gift, actually can risk his eternal life if he starts to fall into pride. So whatever gift you have, don't use it for your own glory, but use it for the edification of the body of Christ. May the Lord help all of us to be faithful and wise in using our gifts for the glory of His holy name. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I give before sexuality from a Christian perspective, and you can find this lecture actually on SoundCloud and on YouTube. This actually is a continuation of the first lecture. In this lecture, we'll cover يعني, more than one point. The first point, pornography. And the, the destructive effect of pornography on sexuality. As we explained before, sexuality is a gift from God to us. And it is a precious gift. And the main purpose of sexuality is to bring the couple together in marriage in unity. Not only on the level of the flesh, but also on a spiritual level, on emotional level, on psychological level. But sexual, uh, pornography actually destroy the godly purpose of sexuality and also uh, abuse the sexual desire and we explained before that the sexual desire in men more than in women and we explained why but again the pornography uh, abuse the unequal sexual desire God says the purpose of sexuality is to build the unity and the oneness between the husband and the wife. But pornography says that the purpose of sexuality just to satisfy the sexual desire with any person whether he is willing or not willing and by any means it is a selfish on the expense of the other we explained before that the sexual desire is good and also it is gift from God and the sexual desire is given more to men so husband may seek his wife and the wife also seeks her husband to unite them and to establish and to confirm this unity but pornography said that sexual desire cannot be controlled and you need to fulfill it by any means at any time so we can see here that pornography is completely, directly and indirectly against the purpose of God from sexuality. Although 
Maybe some people struggle, especially those who are unmarried, struggle to understand why God gave me the sexual desire, or what is the role of sexuality uh, in the boundaries of marriage, and why God actually set strong boundaries about sexuality, that it should be only in marriage. But even if we don't understand, but we should trust that God has his own reason in granting us a sexual desire even before marriage, and why he kept the sexuality to to be practiced only within the boundaries of marriage. And if we trust God, and we know that all things work out together, then we should follow his purpose and his guidelines. When you get a new device, computer, car, whatever, you follow the guidelines. Although maybe you don't understand why they told you warning, don't do this to the car, but you can do this. Maybe you don't understand why, but because you trust the manufacturer, that's why you follow the instruction. In the same way, even if we don't understand but we need to trust God and to follow the guidelines. Sexuality in the purpose of God, it is a calling for the husband to seek his wife and to lead her as a servant, servant leader, in order to understand and to appreciate the gift of sexuality on a deeper level. Sexuality is a calling to the wife also, again to serve her husband, trusting him and trusting that the gifts of God usually and always bring what is good if we use it according to the will of God. People can live cannot live without food. We need to eat. But people can live without practicing sex. Yes, they have the sexual desire, but they can control it. As the celibate do, and also as many people who are not married for one reason or another. That's why sex is not essential for our survival. Yes, sexuality, we have the sexual desire, we have the sexual, the hormones, but to practice is not an essential for your survival. The culture and the society actually tells us the opposite. If they see a male or female above 20 or 21 and they never practice sex, they they think they are weird. How come you are still virgin until today? How come you did not practice? And I think the culture, Yani said by high school, if you, once you graduate from high school, you shouldn't be virgin anymore. And definitely, the pornography helped to promote this idea that you cannot survive without actually practicing sex. But in reality, yes, sex is a gift from God and a great gift from God, but it is not an essential thing for our survival. It's not like food. Yes, we have desire, and this desire, according to the divine guidelines, should be limited only to marriage. But this culture actually magnified sexuality to the extent sexuality became like an idol. We worship it and we 
serve this idol and try to fulfill it by any means. And the word idol doesn't mean it is essentially sinful. Because as I told you, sexuality is a gift from God, is a good gift from God. But turning the sexuality into an idol, this is what makes it evil. Pleasure is given from God, is, is a gift from God to us. But when we turn the pleasure into a goal, people may fall into gluttony, people may fall into uh, sexual immorality. So, any gift from God, any gift, if this gift replaced God in our life, then it will be evil. Sexuality is a gift from God. But when our life becomes, instead of to be centered around God, if our life became centered around sexuality, then sexuality replaced God. And there are few things in our life can turn to be gods, like money. We serve it. But sexuality is one of the greatest things and the easiest thing can turn into idols in our life and make our life centered around sexuality. When you look to a person from the other gender, you don't look at her or at him with a pure eye, but you look with eye full of lust. Well, as I said before in the previous lecture, sexuality is not something you take it easy, you can flirt with it. Sexuality actually has a great power. That's why you need to handle it carefully. That's why God made strong boundaries for it. Can you imagine if there is a river with strong water flow? If there is no boundaries for this river, it can cause flood and drown the whole area around it. The same way sexuality is so powerful. And if there is no boundary, it will destroy people who are not taking sexuality serious. And most of the people who did not respect the boundaries, they ended up sexual addicts. And many people struggle how to overcome sexual addiction, whether in the form of pornography or in the form of masturbation or sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, etc. That's why we need if, don't say, I, I will watch pornography and it will not affect me. No, it will. It will affect you. That's why I'm saying, you need to respect this gift and don't flirt with it. You need to respect the boundaries that God set it for this gift. People, for example, who start practicing sex from high school or from college, it will be very difficult for them to stop it, even if they try and fight it sincerely. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I'm saying it's better not to start and then to fight than actually to start and fight and struggle the same way people who started practicing masturbation at young age, they struggle how to stop it even after they get married. So be careful. Don't start something that can destroy your life later on and you can struggle with it and you cannot actually, it will be a challenge to overcome it. And as I told you, sexuality has addictive nature. A person who starts watching pornography, he will demand more and more. 
and maybe first time he will spend five minutes, then it will be 30 minutes, it will be one hour, it will be three hours, and so on. Yes, as I told before, God made sexuality attractive and powerful in order to bring unity between the couple, the married couple. That's why what God intended to bring unity and to attract them to each other, if we are used outside this boundary, then it will be a bad habit that enslaves, enslaves me. So you need to avoid any sexual immoral activity. And when you keep sexuality and the practice of sex till after marriage, you will enjoy it in marriage. But if you started before, even after you get married, you will not get the same pleasure that God intended for sex to be. In God's plan and God's economy about sexuality, sexuality is not about you mainly. Sexuality is about the other person. And there is a big difference between males and females. The, the female actually, in general, she finds happiness and satisfaction in pleasing her husband. But males in general, they are self-centered. They are seek their own pleasure. But if we understand that sexuality is not about me, but about the other person. How to serve the other person, how to please the other person in order to be in, in unity. In sexuality, we need not to be selfish, to be selfless and give ourselves to the other. So according to the commandment of God, the husband should actually, his desire to be desire toward her, his wife and how to please her. And this is a commandment from God to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when St. Paul said, the wife has no authority over her body, but the husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Why? That's a commandment from God. It's in the scripture. This means that the husband serve his wife and the wife serve her husband. And God made the sexual desire very attractive and very strong. So the couple should seek sexuality frequently. Yes, there is boundaries during the times of fasting and prayer, but other than this, they should seek each other frequently, and this will actually make the bond between both of them and the unity between both of them strong. And we should know that when a husband seeks his wife or wife seeks her husband, mainly they are seeking each other as obedience toward the God who told us that the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does, and the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And people who understand sexuality in the right way, actually the conflict and the tension among them is less. I remember when I was in medical school, when we studied psychiatry, uh, our professor 
Dr. Ahmed Akasha told us that more than 85% of problems between husband and wife has a sexual reason. At that time, actually, when I listened to the lecture, I said, no, maybe because they are not Christian, they are saying so. But now, after I start counseling and I see how many people actually have conflict with each other, and then when I start to get more and more reasons why they, they are not living in peace with each other, I find at the bottom there is a sexual reason. That's why God gave, made the sexuality attractive. So when the couple actually come with each other frequently, this actually will reduce and make the, the conflict between them less and less. That's why we instruct both the couple, the husband and wife, even if you don't feel the desire, do it as obedience to God who give you the commandment. And you should do it as obedience to God. Because sometimes, especially wives, he say, I don't have desire. But do it as a commandment from God. Because abandoning your spouse can push the other person to sin. Some people ask what is considered normal and what's considered abnormal in sex. Especially those who watch pornography. They bring many ideas from pornographies and they want to practice it with their spouses. And some husband or wives, they force the other person to watch pornography because they want to do the same. So, is everything allowed in marriage or not? But I want to say that the question, what is the normal sex? This is a wrong question. Because the word normal can be changeable from one couple to another couple, from one culture to another culture, from one time to uh, another time. So the better question, so each couple can define for themselves what's normal and what's normal, is what is the economy of God regarding sex. So if we understand what is the economy of God and what is the plan of God regarding sex, then each spouse, each person will be able to answer whether this practice is acceptable or not acceptable. And because of the fear of God, they will refuse certain practices and they will accept other practices. So, let me discuss with you some principles. The first principle, sex should be only and for life between the husband and the wife. What sometimes pornography brings to our mind, you can bring a third person to make it more pleasurable or couples together, this is not from God. Again, sex is only and for life between the husband and wife. Bringing any a third person in the relationship, either as a person or even in my mind, for example, if the husband is attracted to a lady with him in work, so while he is with his wife. He is thinking about the other woman. That's not right. That's not right. And as I told you, sometimes in the pornography, they speak about, you know, 
how to bring two couples together, etc. This is not God's economy. So the first principle, sex should be only between the husband and wife for uh, and wife for life. The second principle, sexuality is about love. So any sexual practice in which I force the other is not right. Because how can I love the other person while I'm forcing him? This means this is a selfish practice. I don't respect the feeling of the other, but I want just to get my pleasure, regardless whether the other is ready or not ready. So the second principle, sex should be practiced with love and not by forcing the other. The third principle, yes, I, I, I mentioned that God made sex so attractive in order for the couple to uh, live this unity. But this doesn't mean I am saying there is no self-control. No, as any other thing actually, uh, food, any other thing, you need to practice it with self-control. And if we read in First Corinthians uh, chapter 7, why St. Paul, he said, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what is the purpose of abstaining from sex like during fasting time? To develop self-control. So, for example, if you traveled for one month or two months away from your wife, Satan will not tempt you because your lack of self-control. If your spouse is sick, Satan will not tempt you because you practice self-control. But those who did not practice self-control, then in any situation like travel or sickness of one spouse or whatever, the, the person can be tempted. That's why St. Paul said, no, don't deprive one another. And this is another principle, don't deprive one another. But except with consent, for a time, not always, just for a time. During this time, give yourself to fasting and prayer, because fasting and prayer will help you to control yourself and come together again. Without doing this, Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's why we said sex should be practiced with self-control. Any practice that you have doubt in your heart whether it is acceptable or not, ask yourself this question. The first question, what's in my heart that pushing me to do this practice. Because as the Lord taught us, what comes from the heart is what defiles the person. So if you examine your heart and search your heart, what's in your heart that making me demanding this practice? If it is lust, then it's wrong. If it is serving the other according to the fear of God and the godly guidelines, then it will be right. Any sin comes from the heart. In, uh, in sexual relationship, both of them, they should acquire 
a kind and a compassionate heart, a loving heart. And before you demand anything, ask yourself, examine your motives, examine your heart. Do only the things that you want to do because you love your, your wife. You want to please her. You want to serve her. And avoid anything that push your wife or your spouse to sin or to do something against her own will or to do something she is not happy with it this will be selfishness if you ask this also sometimes the relationship the sexual relationship shouldn't be like one is victorious and the other is like a slave or a servant this image is repeated in the pornography but this is not actually the christian understanding of sex both of them should be serving one another in pornography they want to give you the idea that you are the dominant one the, the one who in control it is not you are loving and serving the other so don't expose your spouse to any practice that make her or him feel he is defeated this is not from god but any practice that make the other that the other person feels loved and accepted and desirable then actually this will be from God your spouse should not come out of this relationship feeling that she is defiled actually should come out of this relationship feeling she is loved she is protected not defeated the third question whether this practice will bring pleasure and joy to both of you or to one person sexual relationship is about shared pleasure both of them will give and receive in the same time and the sexual relationship is very unique in this that you give and you receive in a powerful way and in a very satisfying way and the goal of each one is how to please the other more than pleasing himself or herself so in the practice that will bring to you pleasure but make the other person disgusted it's not right any practice that make you uh, feel pleasure but the other person feels pain is not right and the last question is about if any practice that have question mark either by your conscience or by the conscience of your spouse then actually maybe it's wrong because conscience is given to us as a gift from God and we need to pay attention to our conscience many times God speaks to us through our conscience and our conscience as Christian is adjusted by the word of God that we read daily by the sermons, by the prayers, by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us after we get, uh, got baptized. So we need to listen to our conscience. So if your conscience is telling you this is not right, listen to your conscience don't actually 
stand against your own conscience. And don't pressure your spouse to actually do things against her own conscience. That's not right. As I said, sexuality is about pleasing the other. It is a selfless practice. But there is selfish sexuality. Masturbation is considered a selfish sexuality. Because it focuses on the person himself, not on the other. That's why masturbation is a sin that needs repentance and needs confession. And we as Christians, as believers, we should fight it. And unfortunately, many youth start practicing this sin from a young age and they struggle with it for so many years. And sometimes we become addict to masturbation. We have this guilty feeling in our heart. And many people, they feel God is against them because of this sin. Maybe he is lying, maybe he is swearing, maybe he is cursing. But masturbation in particular and sexual immorality in particular make the person feel so guilty and rejected by God. Yes, it is sin. But I am usually, when somebody speaks to me about masturbation, I tell him, I am concerned not about this sin, but I'm concerned more about the spirit of despair. Because through the grace of God, you will overcome this sin. But if you fall in despair, how can you get out of it? Actually, hope and trust in God will help me to overcome any sin, even masturbation. But if I lost hope, then how can I overcome any sin? So, Satan actually used three steps. Satan is the deceiver, tempter, and accuser. First step, deception. He will tell you nothing wrong with it. Just do it, it's fun. Once you accept the idea, he will tempt you to do it. Once you did it, he will try to accuse you and make you fall in despair. That is a plan that Satan is using. Deception, temptation, accusation. Deception, temptation, accusation. Also, masturbation defiles your mind. Because with masturbation, you will have some imagination. And masturbation is not just a physical act to please your body. It involves your mind and your soul and your spirit. And usually, the guilt comes from the act itself. Less than the guilt, we get it from the imaginations that we have in our mind. But the, in the battlefield, the spiritual battlefield, we need to start with the mind. As St. Paul said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you are fighting how to stop the act itself without renewing your mind and having the mind of Christ, it will be difficult to overcome this sin. And the word metania, Metanoia. Meta means to change noia from the word denos, mind. So, metania, which means repentance, it starts here in your mind when you acquire the mind of Christ. So, during masturbation, all this imagination in our mind will actually start to attack me. And this attacks are dangerous and destructive. Why? 
Number one, it's very rare that reality is like your imagination. Many people make imagination and expectation in their mind that in reality you cannot fulfill. That's why when you get into reality and you cannot find what you imagined in your mind, it would be like a shocking experience for you. For example, who among people who masturbate can imagine that he is seeking his spouse or his wife and then the wife told him, no, I am tired today, I cannot. This is not imagination. It's very real somebody to imagine something like this. Or in your imagination, you imagine your spouse refused to do something because she feels it is wrong and it is uh, abnormal. That's why in your imagination, you can imagine anything with no boundaries. When you come to reality and you don't, you don't find it, then that gap between, big gap between your imagination and the reality can be a shocking experience. Also, in masturbation, of course, nobody will have this imagination about his spouse or her spouse. Most of the time, it's about somebody who is not your spouse. And we forget what God told us. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you committed adultery in your heart. And the same in in pornography. In pornography, you don't see a married couple practicing sex in the fear of God. You will never find something like this. And for youth who are not married, actually they imagine somebody while they are masturbating. All of this considered adultery in in the eyes of God. That's why we need to examine our thoughts and our imagination. I know some people and some psychiatrists, unfortunately, they say nothing wrong in masturbation. But no, it is sinful. Because masturbation breaks the commandment of God. When he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, who looks at a woman to lust after her committed adultery in his heart. And some people say, no, it is just a physical act to get rid of some psychological pressure or stress. Definitely, that's not right. Because sexuality in general cannot be just a physical act. It involves your mind, involves your soul, involves your spirit. And in order to overcome, not only by just trying to suppress yourself, but more it's about to be filled with the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. So when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, this actually will help you to overcome the sin. Although I told you that the guilt many, many times is exaggerated, but the guilt or the godly sorrow that's not exaggerated and according to the will of God is helpful in repentance. That's why St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 said godly sorrow leads to repentance not to be regretted. And some people say masturbation, there is no biblical text saying masturbation is sinful. But the scripture spoke about how sex should be and the divine guidelines for sexuality. 
That's why there is no need to speak about masturbation because it's already, if you understand the divine guidelines for sexuality, you will know that masturbation is a selfish act which against the will of God from sexuality. Another example, uh, the Bible doesn't speak in a direct way about abortion, but the Bible spoke about murder and the value of human life. So, although there is no a direct verse about abortion, but we can understand that abortion is a crime of murder, as also masturbation is a sin of sexual immorality. And let me stop here, but I hope what we talked about will give us some idea about what's God's purpose from sexuality and how to keep the uh, sexual relationship between married couple according to the will of God in the fear of God so the bed will not be defiled as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 13. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.